Thanks, Josh. So there was some research that was conducted a few years ago, and it was around forgiveness, which is going to be our topic for this morning. And what they did is they took 1,566-year-old men and women, and they asked them a series of questions. There were seven specific parameters that they were looking at in this research. And then they did the same course of questions whenever these folks got to be 69 years of age. Not all of them made it, actually, to the end of the study. There were some that didn't quite make it to their 69th birthday. And as they evaluated these seven different parameters, they found out that there was just one of those seven parameters that actually stood out to be significantly different. One parameter that seemed to make a difference as to whether or not somebody reached 69 from 66. Around those seven different parameters of forgiveness, conditional Forgiveness was the only thing that stood out. What that means is that for those that put conditions on forgiveness, in other words, I require an apology from someone else, or I require a promise from someone else before I will forgive them, for those that had that condition around forgiveness, they were less likely to make it to their 69th birthday than those that did not put conditions around forgiveness. So this morning, we're going to take a look at forgiveness. I have a reference here that says, back to basics. Forgiveness is very basic when it comes to the Christian life. Without forgiveness, there is no, um, we cannot have a relationship with Christ. We cannot enter into his courts. Without Jesus dying on the cross, we do not have that forgiveness and have the ability to engage in a relationship. That's a basic fundamental of our faith. But I'd like to take us a little bit deeper this morning and look at things maybe from a little bit different angle as well. And we're going to actually take a quiz. It's going to be a forgiveness quiz. It's five questions, true or false. So if you're not sure, you got a 50-50 shot. Most of us, whenever we were in school, probably liked those true or false quizzes because they were a whole lot easier than the short answer ones that we had to write out an answer. And at least I have a 50-50 chance of getting it right. And that's better than a 25% chance on a multiple guess question that I had four things to choose from. But before we get into that, what I'd like to do is take a look at some responses to some quiz questions that were actually written at the high school level. So this will get our brains thinking a little bit, hopefully warm us up a little bit as well. So this first one states, uh, state three drawbacks of hedgerow removal. Now, The answers to these questions that you're going to see up here are typically coming from somebody that didn't study very well for their test. So the three answers here around hedgerow removal, all the cows will escape, the cars drive into the fields, and there's nowhere to hide. And those are all three very important components. We'll move on to the next question. And similarly, what's the meaning of the word varicose? And you can go ahead and scroll that down so we can actually see that one, Josh. So close by. Varicose means close by. So thinking in terms of high school students, now for the other ones, there are about five or six of them here. We're going to show the question without the answer and see if we can come up with what the answer would be from a high school perspective. Okay. Now for those of us that are in high school here, this isn't intended to to warm you guys up for this so much, but it it helps us that have been through high school to start thinking a a little bit differently. So we'll scroll down to the next one. Is it not moving? Can you see it? Oh, okay. So go ahead and... Yeah, I'm not tall enough to see over this. 
and I didn't write these down, so I'll step out here. So name six animals which live specifically in the Arctic, and this actually we didn't realize that was a math question as opposed to just a geography question. So go ahead and scroll up, Josh. So six animals which live specifically in the Arctic, two polar bears and four seals. So two and three doesn't make five, doesn't make six, actually, it makes five. Um, So next one. Where was the American Declaration of Independence signed? We live in Philadelphia. Hopefully we would be able to answer that, but that one was at the bottom was the answer to that from a high school student. There we go. What is the highest frequency noise that a human can register? This was a few years ago. Let's go ahead and jo- show that one to us, Josh. It would be Mariah Carey. What is a fibula? Ooh, 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 I have an answer. What is it? Very good. You're, you're thinking too smart, Isaac. <laughs> if I don't know the answer to this, what do you think my right answer is going to be? Uh, somebody, excellent. It's a little lie. Very good. <laughs> Applause for those that got it. Very good, Zena. Okay, onward. Steve is driving his car. He's traveling at 60 feet per second, and the speed limit's 40 miles an hour. Is he speeding? Yes, I hear a yes. That is a yes or no question, so I guess he got a 50-50 shot at that. Well, according to our high schoolers, that's why he has a speedometer. (laughs) That would tell him whether or not he's speeding. Give a reason why people would want to live near power lines. Hmm. You get your electricity faster. <laughs> okay. And one more. This is the last one. Now, I was a high school math teacher before going into the, um, into the field that I'm in right now, so this is actually my favorite one. So expand two times the quantity X plus Y. What do you think? Guys, you got an answer? Okay, that would actually be correct, but that's not what this particular individual said. We just expand it. Okay? All right. So now that we got ourselves thinking, we're going to go ahead and we're going to switch over and we're going to begin our forgiveness quiz. But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your blessings on us. God, we thank you that we can enjoy the creativity of other people as well. God, we thank you for your presence here this morning. And we ask, Lord, that you would just let heaven fall on us. God, that our motives would be pure. Father, that any pride that may be um, affecting us and our ability to be able to hear you this morning would be set aside. And God, that we would truly be attentive to your voice. And Lord, that we would be responsive to your call this morning. And God, we thank you for what you'll accomplish. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So our first question Do I have the right one? There we go. Oh, yeah, it's not. I can't get it to. There we go. All right, there we go. All right, so first question. Forgiveness 
is only referenced in the New Testament after Jesus came. False. Very good. In fact, the word forgive, or some form of the word forgive, is referenced 55 times in the Old Testament and actually 60 times in the New Testament. So that was a pretty easy one. Hopefully that gets us going. So we're all one for one so far. Second question. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this one. I should only forgive when the other person or party is truly remorseful. Okay, so they're resounding false in that. This kind of goes back to that study that I mentioned earlier on, the research that identified the conditional forgiveness was an important component for folks to be able to make it to their 69th birthday from their 66th birthday. And there are times, though, that maybe we feel that God has put us in a situation to leverage our ability to forgive to bring someone else to repentance. Have we ever felt that way? This person is wrong. Clearly they're wrong in what they've done. And so in order to help them to come to repentance, I will leverage my ability to forgive. So in other words, I will help the Holy Spirit change that person. Have you ever been in those shoes? That's kind of a rhetorical question. Um, But have we ever been in those shoes? If this statement were true, then I would submit that my actions in that case are dependent upon someone else's response, which then in reality nullifies the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. It's not about the other person's heart. It's about mine. If you have your Bibles, we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 7, verses 54 to 60. Might be a little bit small on the screen, but anybody would like to turn there, uh, feel free to turn there. This is Stephen after he has been in front of the high priest and given a defense to the high priest. And in verses 51 to 54, he actually kind of sets the high priest in his place. And challenges him. So in verse 54, we see, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. Imagine that. Imagine being Stephen, and you see all these people. It's not just one person coming at you, but they all rushed at him impulsively. It's a pretty impressive sight, a pretty impressive um, condition or situation. Verse 58, when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. In this passage, we see no evidence whatsoever that those who were stoning Stephen had any remorse at all or or were repentant in any way. Yet, the spirit that we see Stephen exuding here is a forgiving spirit. I can't help but think, if you look there at the end of uh, verse 
58 as well. They laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who later became Paul. In this situation, probably leading the stoning of Stephen. And a part of the story that this is not in Scripture, but I'm going to suggest probably played a role in Paul, in Saul, was later on, on the road to Damascus, whenever Jesus reaches out to Saul and blinds him. And then Saul gets, um, travels to his house, and he's there waiting. I can't help but think that he has a lot to recollect. He has a lot to think through in the time that he's waiting for somebody to come and restore his sight. And I'm confident that one of the things that went through Saul's mind during that period of time was this experience. Where he was involved with stoning of a man that was a prophet of God who spoke for the Lord. And he would think through how was that individual able to stay strong in the situation that they went through. And not hold that against those that were actually inflicting pain. I would anticipate that that impact had a result in Paul's life later on. So what do we do then with situations like we see in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4? Which states, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, then you must forgive him. Because this says, if he repents, then I forgive. We have two situations here. We have outlined the first situation where it's a brother that's caught in sin. If he repents, then we forgive him. We have the second situation in verse 4 here that says, if he has offended you and he comes to you and repents, then we're supposed to forgive him. So the question becomes, that says, if he repents, then I forgive. Does that mean if he doesn't repent, then I don't forgive? Hmm. So we're going to go back to high school again. We're going to talk about conditional statements. For those of you that had geometry, this might bring up nightmares. Um, Although, for some of us, you may have really enjoyed geometry. So a conditional statement in mathematics is written P arrow Q. It means P implies Q, or if P, then Q. If P is true, then Q is true. So in a situation, uh, I just put an example up there. If it's snowing outside, then it's cold. Is that true? I guess it depends on what you say is cold, right? For most of us, 32 degrees is cold. For some of us, that's still short sleeve, short sleeve shirt weather. But for the majority of us, we'll go, with, we'll go with, yeah, it's cold. Maybe I should have put, it's, well, even that's not necessarily always. Because sometimes it snows and it's not 32 degrees outside. But we'll go with that this is true. If it's snowing, then it's cold outside. So we'll go with that as true. So we have other statements. So this is a conditional statement. We have inverses, we have converses, we have contrapositives. But the one we're most concerned about is actually the inverse, which is if P is not true, then Q is not true. If not P, then not Q. That's how we look at this. So if it's not snowing outside, then it's not cold. 
Okay, I see some heads going this way. So is the first statement valid? If it's snowing, then it's cold. Yes. So if we negate both of those, that means if we negate it, it's, if it's not snowing, then it's not cold. Is that true? It can be very cold outside and not be snowing, right? So what that means mathematically is that if P then Q does not necessarily mean not P then not Q. So our original scripture that said, if he repents, then you must forgive him, does not mean if he doesn't repent, then you don't forgive him. There's not a condition that is involved with this. Make sense? Quote from Larry James, who is an author. He states, making forgiveness contingent upon an apology gives control of your emotions to someone else. The result is that you cling to your anger and perpetuate your status as a victim. I'm going to read that again. It's pretty powerful. Making forgiveness contingent upon an apology gives control of your emotions to someone else. The result is that you cling to your anger and perpetuate your status as a victim. Question number three. I have a right to be resentful toward a person or party who has offended or sinned against me. We oftentimes feel that, don't we? I, um, the company that I worked for before, the company that I'm working for now, I was going in for an interview for a position that was a promotion. I had actually interviewed for this position about eight months, ten months before and didn't get the role. And I knew I wasn't going to get it the first time. But I went back and, and was interviewing again for the same position, basically. And I felt like I had a pretty good shot at it. So I walk into the interview, and there are five people around a table. So it's not an individual interview. It's a panel interview. And they're all bigger than me. So go figure, right? So I'm a little bit intimidated walking in. you got five people. It's a room probably half the size of what this storage area is over here. So it's very small, confined space. We engage in the interview. We get probably 15, 20 minutes in. And one of the gentlemen in the interview asked me a really, really pointed question. And I was like, ooh, that, where did that come from? So I responded. Felt pretty good about my response. About five minutes later, he jabs me again. So he jabs me about three or four times about one particular situation during the course of the interview. And about the fifth time, my patience starts getting less and less. And have you ever gotten to the point in a situation where you're just like, okay, I've had enough. That's it. And your patience is worn thin. In fact, your patience is worn out. Well, I didn't quite get to that point, but I was almost there. And then toward the end of the interview, one of the other individuals in, that was involved with the panel asked me a question referencing what this other person was discussing. And at that point, that was over the edge for me. And so I responded. I didn't respond emotionally, but I responded very emphatically and with maybe a little bit more um, force behind it than probably what I should have. Uh, so I walked out of the interview, and I felt, honestly, entitled to being resentful. I felt entitled to being bitter, especially at the one individual that was in that. By the way, I didn't get the job. Yeah, right? Uh, 
But I look back on that now, and I see God's hand in that. And there are a lot of times in our lives where we don't see how God's hand is in a situation at that point in time, but whenever we're able to look back on it later, we can see his divine design and how it's put into place. But at that point, I couldn't see it. I remember driving home. It was a six-hour drive home. And I felt pretty good about being resentful toward that individual. And this is a situation where sometimes we feel entitled or we feel right in being resentful and harboring some emotion about situations or about another person. The Bible tells us that that's not valid. So if we look at Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13, it says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against you, forgiving each other, and here's the key, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Similarly, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So when we think about what Christ did for us in laying down his life for our sins, and we think about, okay, how does he forgive us? He forgives us completely. He forgives us unconditionally. And he also, according to Psalm 103.12, removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. And I've heard an illustration around this, so this isn't something that I can say I coined, but east from west is in a straight line. That's not around the globe where they come back and they intersect at some point later on down the road. It's a straight line. Infinitely to the east, infinitely to the west. And so if our sins are removing, removed from us to that degree, and we are able to do that to, for other people, forgive the way that Christ forgives us, that allows us to not have bitterness and not have resentment. We'll get into that a little bit deeper a little bit later on. Next one. Forgiveness legitimizes or condones the behavior or actions of another person. Correct. That is false. Stephen, whenever he prayed after he was being stoned, was not legitimizing the behavior or condoning the behavior of the others that were stoning him. Similarly, whenever we see Jesus hanging on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He's not condoning the behavior. He's just calling down forgiveness. This does not, forgiveness does not remove consequences of behavior. There are still consequences to somebody else's behavior. It doesn't remove consequences, nor does it remove my responsibility to confront sin. If there is a fellow believer caught in sin, it's my responsibility as a fellow believer to go to them. The Bible talks about that very clearly. So forgiveness 
does not remove consequences, nor does it remove my responsibility to confront sin. Another quote, forgiveness does not excuse another person's behavior. Forgiveness prevents their behavior from destroying my heart. Fifth one, forgiveness is a good principle outlined in the Bible. I just want to talk about this for a little bit before we actually throw up the answer. Um, And I'm going to ask us to dig deeply into ourselves before we look at this any deeper. Are there situations in your life where you've been hurt or wronged or mistreated to the point where you can't forgive? Where that pain is so deep and so severe that I just can't get over it? I would suggest that there are times in our lives and there are probably situations for some of us that are in here where we are unable to forgive because the pain is so deep and it affects us so richly. Humanly speaking, we can't do it. But that's where the power of the Holy Spirit comes in. Christ's blood covers everything, even the wrongs that have been done to us. And in those situations where I find it extremely difficult or I find that I've been unable to forgive a situation or a person, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to enable me to do that. Because I can't. There are times that we, humanly speaking, are unable to forgive people or forgive situations. And we've got to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. The battle is spiritual. And we've got to realize that. The enemy is not necessarily the other person. The enemy is what is driving the other person. And the enemy also knows that if he can get in me an unforgiving spirit, that that casts a wedge between me and the Father and affects my relationship with him. And he's got a hold of an area that he's not going to let go. Matthew 6, 14 and 15 states, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So this is Jesus speaking. If you forgive, then your sins will be forgiven. Wait. That's conditional again. We see all throughout Scripture that salvation is not based on our actions. It's not based on how we treat other people. It's not based on works that we do. And then we see Jesus make a statement like this. So how do you explain that? We've got to get the context of these verses. If you back up a few verses from these verses, it's the Lord's Prayer which starts off with our Father who art in heaven. Our Father. So in that situation, who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to those that know God as their Father. 
This isn't salvation that he's talking about here. This is relationship with the Father. And he says in this that if we forgive others, then we will be forgiven. Jesus knows that in our relationship with the Father, if we are unforgiving, that that separates us in our relationship. Because the essence of the Father is love and forgiveness. And if we are unforgiving of someone else, then our relationship with God is going to be affected. That's the context of these verses. It's not conditional. God's love, God's forgiveness is not conditional. But in order to have a relationship with him, he tells us that we must be forgiving. So the way that we read this in this particular uh, true and false question is it's not just a good principle. It's actually a command. So if you said true to that, we'll go ahead and we'll give you credit for it anyway. Because it is a good thing, and it is throughout Scripture, but in actuality, the word principle is the key to that particular true and false question. It's not just a principle, it's a command that we are supposed to follow. It's a mandate. It's not an option. But that doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. There are times that it's going to be a struggle. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to be able to help us with that. So how do we know if we've truly forgiven someone? Well, there are both emotional and behavioral symptoms to lack of forgiveness. So if you find any of these, I would suggest that we reevaluate whether we've actually forgiven someone. Emotionally, Emotional lack or emotional symptoms of lack of forgiveness include bitterness, wrath, and anger. So when I see somebody that has wronged me, if the first thing that wells up in me is anger and bitterness, I probably haven't removed them from that situation. Most likely, I haven't found a way to forgive them yet. Behaviorally, and these probably speak a little bit more to the challenge and where I am than even the emotional symptoms. But behaviorally, some symptoms of lack of forgiveness. Clamor, which is a need to talk about the other person or the offense. So the scenario I walked us through earlier in terms of the, um, the interview that I went through, I actually, after that situation, I told my boss, I told my manager, I told other people on my team, I talked to numerous people about that. That's clamor. I was harboring bitterness about the situation. If we find a need to talk about the other person or the offense, odds are we haven't forgiven. Evil speaking, which is hateful speech or criticism, or malice, which is intent to harm or to get even. That's a fleshly response. Doesn't mean it's never going to come up, but we have to fight that with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we hear this adage, forgive and forget. Can we really do that? Can we forgive and forget? Maybe you can. Most of us, I would say it's more like forgive and fade away, where we don't actually forget the situation But when we recall it, it doesn't have the piercing pain that it did before. 
So those were all false statements. Now let's talk about some truths. Forgiveness is more powerful than retribution because it renders the enemy powerless. And who is the enemy? The enemy is not the other person or the other group or the panel of interviewers. The enemy is who is behind that. The enemy is Satan. So whoever said that was right on. Thank you, Dave. James 2 verse 13 says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. And whenever we get into a situation that we find very difficult to forgive, it helps us to look at it from a spiritual perspective as opposed to a personal perspective. Secondly, forgiveness is an avenue to freedom, an avenue to breaking down of strongholds, and an avenue to helping establish our identity in Christ. Ultimately, if our identity is placed anywhere other than Christ, we're not going to find it easy to forgive people. When our identity is in Christ, doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but he empowers us to be able to do that. The act of forgiving is enabled by the Holy Spirit, not by us. If we depend upon our own abilities, we're going to fail because it's going to be continually brought up before us and we're going to fall. And then a lack of forgiveness leads to bitterness, which leads to a stronghold of the enemy. Maybe that's why it's a mandate and not an option. Because God knows what this does in our lives. And as it festers in our life and we develop, develop bitterness, and then the enemy has a spot that he can attach. Ephesians 4.31 states, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. I find it interesting that the majority of the items that were listed in there, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander's in here too, malice, those five things are all evidences of a lack of forgiveness. It's a command to put those things away from us. So we've talked about forgiving other people and the importance of doing that and how Scripture lays out some guidelines for us. But what about forgiving ourselves? Some of us may actually find it easier to, to forgive other people than we find it to forgive ourselves. We think of Paul and what he did in persecuting the Christians before he became a follower of Christ. And we wonder, how was he able to get over that? We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I would ask us one question. If we have sin in our life or situations that we find very difficult to forgive ourselves of, we don't understand that whenever we're, we find difficulty doing that, that oftentimes leads to shame. And shame is another stronghold that the enemy has to be able to draw us away from Christ and sever our relationship with him. So if I'm in a situation where God has forgiven me, why can't I forgive myself? Are my standards higher than what his are?
So we've got to be able to find forgiveness for ourselves as well in order to have freedom because that's bondage. Now, that doesn't give us the right to go out and sin and say, oh, God forgives me, so then I, you know, I can forgive myself too. Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid that that would be the case. So it doesn't give us license to sin. But forgiveness applies to other people, but it also applies to ourselves as well. What about recurrent sin? You know, things that just keep coming up and I just can't get victory over them. I would suggest this. The next time that sin is knocking at your doorstep, before you open the door, say a prayer. Before you open the door, open up your Bible. And let that fill the space of opening the door to recurrent sin. Again, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to be able to overcome those situations. It's not our own power. It's not our own abilities. So as we move into our close this morning, I want to show you a little movie clip. This is from a kid's movie called Rise of the Guardians. And it's about a minute and a half little clip here that we're going to show. We're going to take a look at. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on the movie, though, before we actually look at the clip. So the Guardians are those that protect the little kids. And in the movie, they are the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, uh, the Sandman. The Sandman helps us sleep, right? The Sandman. And Jack Frost. So what has happened in this movie is, so those are the good guys. You always have good and evil. Yes? What's that? Oh, the Tooth Fairy. That's right. Thank you. Absolutely. How could I forget the Tooth Fairy? Thanks, guys. I knew you guys were in here for another reason today. That was helped keep me accountable. And the Tooth Fairy, we have some, some proponents of this movie here with us. Uh, so the Tooth Fairy is also one of the good guys. On the bad side, you always have good and evil. So the evil side is the boogeyman. And we all remember the boogeyman whenever we were kids, the one that filled our minds with bad thoughts and bad dreams so we couldn't sleep. Well, what has happened in the course of this movie is the boogeyman has basically infiltrated all these kids around the world to where they've lost faith in the guardians. And so fear... is more rampant than anything else. So we're going to see this little boy here in this clip. We're going to see how he overcomes his fear, how he responds, and then what, that, what ensues from that in terms of uh, his relationship to the boogeyman and then the relationship to the guardians as well. You think a few children can help you against this? They're just bad dreams, Jamie. And we'll protect you, mate. Oh, you'll protect them. <laughs> but who will protect you? Oh. 
I will. I will. I will. I will. And me. Uh, I'll try. Still think there's no such thing as the boogeyman? I do believe in you. I'm just not afraid of you. So what we see in this is this little boy's ability to overcome his fear empowers the guardians around him and it also emboldens the other boys and girls to be able to overcome their fear. Similarly in our lives, there's power in forgiveness. It allows the Holy Spirit to affect our lives individually and it also allows our lives then to affect those around us in a manner that God can then use us and use the situations that we're faced with. And so the intent with watching that is to put a visual around the power of forgiveness and what it can do in our lives. Two more quotes. One from Corey Tenboom, who was a Dutch watchmaker, a Christian who actually helped a, a number of Jews escape the Holocaust during World War II. And she's the author of the book, The Hiding Place, where she recounts um, those experiences. And the quote that she makes is, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It is a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. Martin Luther King said, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. So where are we this morning? Individually, where are we? Are there situations in our lives that God is speaking into right now from a forgiveness standpoint? That he is asking us to get beyond. That he is asking us to do something about in order to break the power of the enemy. Am I having difficulty being able to forgive myself for something? And God wants to speak into that this morning. Are there situations maybe within the walls of your home that need to be dealt with? Maybe within the walls of our church? maybe outside of these walls, within the walls of your workspace, wherever that might be. What is it that God wants to speak into our lives this morning for the sake of, like that little boy, deflecting the darts and the horses of the enemy to bring victory into our lives? I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Josh and the musicians if they would come up and just play for us um, for about a minute or two, that last song that they played, um, It Is Well With My Soul. And as they play, I'm just going to ask us individually to reflect what it is that God wants to speak into our lives this morning. And if there is a response that he is prompting you to make, 
I would encourage you to make that response before you walk out the doors. As soon as we walk out those doors, for whatever reason, we, lo- we sometimes lose the ability to be able to deal with whatever it is that God's speaking into our life. Because it's not as important for what, I don't know why, but it seems like whenever we walk out the doors, things that God speaks to us here, they just aren't as important because now we've got to go get lunch and there's a, a number of other things that come onto our place. So I would encourage us, if there's something that God is speaking into our, into our lives, into us this morning, that he would ask that we deal with, that we would deal with that. Maybe that's with a spouse. Maybe it's with somebody that's next to you. Maybe it's with somebody that is not anywhere even close to this area. But what does he want to do to free us this morning? And do it at your seats. You feel prompted to come up and, and do something up here that's perfectly fine. But I'll ask the musicians to um, just lead with music for a couple of verses. And then I'll ask you guys, if you would, to just sing that final song or that final verse uh, of It Is Well With My Soul. And that'll be our close for this morning. Um, there may be some here this morning also that don't, that haven't been able to tap into the power of the forgiveness that the Holy Spirit allows us to have because we haven't experienced the forgiveness that Jesus gives. And we've never had, we've never taken the opportunity to commit our lives to him. So if that's something also that God might be speaking into your life this morning, I encourage you to contemplate uh, that as well and seek out someone, um, certainly any of the elders or, or those around you can, uh, can help you with that. But would like you to feel free to seek out one of us to be able to do that as well. But um, before we turn it over to the musicians, let's just go ahead and say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for the way that you work in our lives. God, we thank you for your truths. Lord, we thank you for your word that gives us direction on how to maintain and develop and grow a relationship with you. And God, to make the enemy powerless in our lives. God, we still have fleshly natures. We still struggle with things. But God, it's because of the power of your spirit that we can overcome. And Father, this morning, as we look internally at what it is that you would like to do in our lives, God, I pray that you would speak into this, that you would speak into this time. Father, that you would help us to identify the areas that you want to overcome. And God, that we would commit those to you. And Father, that you would allow us to overcome them. And that through that, Lord, we will be able to deflect the power of the enemy. We thank you for what you'll do, God. We thank you for this time. In your name.